Thank you. Thank you for reminding us that uh, God isn't impressed with our competence, which is an interesting thing to think about in a world where we so want to be consumed with our own competence. Uh, so I want to thank you guys for being here. Super Bowl Sunday, which today is, I think I'm allowed to say Super Bowl, even though it's uh, Big Game Sunday, whatever, I don't know if they're going to sue me. But um, uh, but uh, I want to, but this is traditionally the least attended church Sunday of the year. So I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, I appreciate it. The, there's lots of uh, things going on and reasons why you wouldn't be here. So I want to say that I do appreciate it. Uh, I also want to say that I am aware of how ridiculous the scarf I'm wearing is. Um, but I'm okay with that. Uh, my neck is cold, so I'm Cornell Westing it this morning, which is a very good joke that maybe three people will get. So, um, but anyway, we're going to continue talking the covenant this morning. We're talking about the statement of faith. Now, if you'll remember from last week, I read kind of the preamble to our covenant, and it, we went through a covenant as a promise by which we obligate ourselves and one another in such a way that the obligation of one party is not dependent on the faithfulness of another. Last week, I spent time talking about what a covenant is. Please go back and listen to that. Uh, it will be up online this week. We just had a little bit of complications, but um, go back and listen to that if you want to catch up. But we just. But one of the things we say is that this covenant includes a statement of faith, a commitment of, to biblical truth, and the commitments of the church to his members. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about this statement of faith. And yeah, there we go. So we're going to talk about the statement of faith. And we're going to ask three questions, okay? These are the three questions that I'm going to try and answer today for you. What is a statement of faith? Why do we have one, and how do we have a statement of faith properly, okay? So, uh, so th those are the three questions that I'm hoping to answer. Now, this is our statement of faith, and I'm well aware that that is too small to read, okay? It is printed off. I would like you to uh, please read it. I'm going to read through it, but I understand that, that it's not uh, readable to you guys right now, but that's okay. I just wanted you to be able to see the whole thing at once, Okay. So I'm going to read it. This is our statement of faith. I'm going to read it, and then uh, I would like you to, to read it again later on your own. Uh, but just so for the sake of reading it, here we are. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten from the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, Begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures and has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the repentance, for the forgiveness of sin. We believe that the Bible is the word of God, fully inspired in the original manuscripts, written by humans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. So, this is our statement of faith. Now, for those of you who are historical nerds or just aware, 
you'll notice that most of this is the Nicene Creed. This is mostly uh, uh, the, the, the uh, Nicene Creed, which is uh, one of the earliest church creeds. It was adopted in 325, um, and, uh, so, uh, that, that's mo- and really has been used by Christians all over the world, in every part of the world, throughout history since 325. That is even previous to the, Constant- uh, the Constantinian adoption of Christianity as a religion of the Roman Empire. So this is one of the earliest uh, creeds that we have translated into English. So that's where we got most of it. We, uh, we did change it a little bit. We took out uh, one section about Jesus descending into hell, mostly because there's only one passage that talks about Jesus descending into hell after his death, and JB didn't want it in there, and we couldn't come up with enough reasons to argue him out of it, so we took it out. Um, And I I agree with him. It shouldn't be in there anyway. And then we added this section at the bottom about the place of the Bible in our communion, so so you can kind of see, so this is where we come from. Now, I want to be clear, this as a statement of faith, is our interpretation of biblical truth. It is not biblical truth, okay? There is nothing sacred about this statement of faith, but this is the boundaries that we're kind of placing around. And this is what we're going to get to the first thing. What is a statement of faith? So the, so the kind of the, the dictionary definition is that a creed, also known as a confession, symbol, or statement of faith. I'm going to use the words creed and statement of faith interchangeably in this sermon, just because creed is shorter. So if you're understanding, I'm using those two words in the same way. It is a statement of the shared beliefs of a religious community in the form of a fixed formula summarizing core tenets. Okay, so that's Basically, so that's the dictionary definition, but for us, our, our statement of faith is the boundaries of what we believe. It's the fences around our garden. That's kind of the way that we're approaching it. And all creeds, all throughout human history that have been formed, are formed out of necessity and opposition, okay? So they're formed out when, pe- when there's a group of people, and there's a struggle to say, what do we believe and not believe? And there's arguments about what we believe and not believe. And in, and in, a, in an effort to, to, to minimize confusion and to establish some sort of coherent narrative for the community, they come up with statements of faith. And, and you can identify, kind of forensically or historically, as my, a lot about a community by their statement of faith and what it's in opposition to. Now, the Nicene Creed in 325... That was developed mostly in opposition to a theology called Arianism, uh, not A-R-Y-A-N, that's a white supremacist thing, that's a different thing, but A-R-I-A-N-ism, uh, which basically said that Jesus and God were of completely different substance, right? And, and conventional orthodox theology believed that, that Jesus and God, were the Father and the Son, were of the same substance, um, so that was the, the core argument at the time. That was the biggest argument at the church, in the church at the time, is what is the nature of Jesus? And actually, it's where we get the expression, an iota of difference. Uh, it, it, does, it does or does not make an iota of difference. The, uh, in, in 325, in Koine Greek, there was an argument over whether Jesus and God were of same substance or like substance. And in Greek, at the time, the difference between same and like was one letter, the iota. 
So that's where the, ex- the expression comes from, making an iota of difference. It's about Jesus and God being of same substance or like substance. Now, the Nicene Creed establishes that, the, that what we believe is that they are of same substance, not like substance. But you can see for ours, that's really not as much of an issue. And what you're going to see is, for ours, what, the thing that we added that we're kind of in opposition to or, or we're, we're arguing against is what is the place of the Bible in our narrative. So we added this part at the bottom about, about what we believe the Bible to be in its place in our community, okay? So what, uh, da, 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 da. okay, so because that's the conversation in our time, is what is the Bible and what place does it have within the church and how much does it dictate to us who we are and how we ought to behave towards other people? And that's the conversation that we're having in 2017, and, and that's a conversation that's next week's sermon, but, but, and so stay tuned for that. But, um, but this sermon is just about the statement of faith, and what we're doing with the statement of faith is declaring who we are and who we are not. That what we're trying to do is just have some sort of fences and boundaries about the things that we believe and the things about which we are not going to argue. There's an old expression that good fences make good neighbors. And good fences make good neighbors because it establishes to everyone where the lines of my property ends and the, where, your, where your property begins. And for us, this is what our statement of faith is trying to do, to step into that gap and say these are the fences around which that, that declare where we start and where we end. Okay, so the next question that we're going to ask is why do we have a statement of faith? And two of the, and I don't, you might have a whole bunch of other opposition to having a statement of faith, but, but if you're like me, then you're coming at this and, and your counter arguments to, to having a statement of faith come from two directions. One, we are a non-creedal tradition. Now, if you don't know what that means, awesome. That's probably better for you as a human being. But our church tradition is that we are non-creedal, which is that in our history, that means that we have uh, we've attempted to step uh, our tradition, which is the Christian church, uh, Christian churches, which goes back to the the Cambridge revival in Kentucky in the 1800s. If you don't know anything about that, don't worry about it. You're probably a better human being. Um, but so all of that started ba- basically with our our denomination and our group of people splitting from the Presbyterians because what the Presbyterians were doing at the time was that they had the Westminster Confession, and they said if you didn't sign off on every article of the Westminster Confession, then you could not take communion, right? So what they were doing with their creeds at the time was, was saying, our boundaries are so narrow that we now own communion. And unless you are in lockstep agreement with every one of the 31 articles of the Westminster Confession, then you are not part of the Church of Jesus. Now, our forefathers and mothers in, in, in our tradition said, that's kind of dumb. It's not really our table. It's God's table. God invites people from all sorts of things, and I don't want to be divided from my brothers and sisters in Christ just over some articles in the, in the, the 31, because of like one article in the Westminster Confession. So they said that this is God's table, and it's open to everyone regardless of what tradition that they were baptized into. Our forefathers would have been very frustrated and angry at us for incorporating a statement of faith. We can acknowledge that, Okay. Because So we have been a non-creedal people. Another argument is that creed, creeds and statements of faith have been used in unchristlike ways in the past. And this is true. 
okay? This is what our forefathers were against. And, and creeds and statements of faith have led to major, major unchristlike, ungodly things happening within the Church of Christ. John Calvin set people on fire in the streets of Geneva because they did not follow Calvinist theology, right? And no matter what we believe about Calvinism, you can land on whatever place you want about that, we can all agree that setting people on fire for having incorrect theology is not what Jesus would have done, right? And if you have a problem with that, then we can argue about that later, right? So part of the problem is that, is that these things have rather being than being used to good fences make good neighbors, these things have been used as, as weapons against those people we don't like, as walls to, 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 to keep those who are different from us from getting in, and as, and as ways from dividing one person from another. And in fact, to the point where, where um, during, the, during the 1800s, there was an English theologian who wrote, that, that or he used names of denominations. He said one of, something that is very fascinating. He said, Lutheran, Anglican, Catholic, uh, Puritan, all of these are names devised by the devil to separate one person's heart from another. And he believed that this denominational division and these differences in, in statements of faith had, were being used by Satan to divide the church of Christ. So we need to acknowledge that that has been that that has been used in the past before. We, we're okay with that. Those are good arguments to be making. However, what we're trying to do with this, and the reason why we're, going, why, we're, we're, why we're suggesting it anyway, is that we believe that the boundaries of a statement of faith provide clarity and comfort for our community as we work out our purposes in Christ. So I want to, just as an illustration, conduct a bit of a thought experiment here. I want you to imagine that we have all gathered this Sunday morning to play a hockey game, okay? So imagine, we're all, we've all got skates on, this is ice, we've all got sticks, there's a puck, we've all agreed on the division of teams, but, but there's a hockey game happening, okay? So, at some point in time, somebody says, hey, you know, this hockey game is really great, but come summertime, it's too warm, why don't we play this hockey game on grass or concrete? And we all go like, that's a great idea. That's fine. Sure, that sounds wonderful. So then we all switch and we begin to play ball hockey together, right? We replace the ice with grass or concrete and we replace the puck with a ball. And then someone else comes along and says, you know what? This ball is really, really small. Why don't we use this bigger ball? It's just slightly bigger, and then, and, and, but, it, but it's still the same game. We're like, okay, that sounds fine. We'll, we'll have a bigger ball. That'll be, that'll be great. And we're still knocking this bigger ball around with our sticks. It's a little bit slower. But it's just like, you know what? It's harder to knock this bigger, bigger ball around with our sticks. Why don't we kick it more often? Okay, that's fine. So now we're kicking a ball, but we also have our sticks still. And it's still working about the same way. But then somebody comes along and says, but you know what? Why do we have the sticks at all? Why don't we just take away the sticks and we'll just kick the ball around? And then we'll be kicking the ball on grass or concrete. Well, at some point, we wake up one morning, and we're not playing hockey anymore. We're playing soccer, right? And there's nothing wrong with soccer. Soccer isn't an evil game. But it's not the game that we set out to play. And without some sort of boundaries where it's like, wait a minute, no, no. The, there's a definition of what hockey is and what hockey is not. Then at some point, 
you, you bleed into becoming something else that you never intended to be. And that's a problem that happens in Christian churches where very well-meaning people just start to forget, leave some things behind to the point where they are no longer what they were ever intended to be. And this is why, and we've seen this in Canada, okay, and particularly in Canada, because there's the, one of the largest denominations in Canada through the 1900s was the United Church in Canada, and fine, and I'm, this is not a slam on them. I want to be really clear about that. But if you go to United Church of Canada service today, it is just as likely that you are going to hear a sermon about the plight of polar bears in the Northwest Territories as you are to hear a sermon about what Jesus is, how Jesus is telling us to live in accordance with his word. And that happened because well-meaning people crept in and said, you know, this is kind of closed down. You know, if we're only talking about the Bible, not everybody believes in the Bible. Why don't we talk about other things? Why don't we talk about the environment? Why don't we talk about, you know, why are we going to have these divisions? Why don't we just let anybody do whatever they want? And at some point, they woke up one morning, and their church was more about polar bears and not using, uh, re- and, and not using non-recyclable water bottles and all of these other things, and, and it's no longer about Jesus. But the problem is, they're re- they, so what they want their church to be is, is a social agency working for the good of the community. But this is the real problem. And this has been borne out time and time again throughout history. Churches are terrible social services agencies. We just are. We can do that if Jesus is primary. We can do that as an adjunct to what we do. But if we don't have Jesus as what we do, everything about what we do fails. And we've seen that again and again and again throughout history. So this is why we're going to have some boundaries about who we are and what we do. Because we're a church. We're about Jesus we're about the mission of God and what he's doing in the world. We're about this, okay? So we're, so this is, so we're not a social services agency. We're not primarily a youth center. We're not primarily an entertainment agency. Those are not the things that we're here to do. The things that we are here to do are this stuff. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So this makes some fences for us that about who we are and the kind of game that we're playing when we gather here as a, as a community. And it also declares the kind of stuff that we're not going to argue about, okay? So if you notice, we're not going to, so if you'll notice in here, we're not going to argue about the nature of the Trinity. We're just going to accept it. We're not going to argue about it because we don't really understand it but people have believed it for 2,000 years, and it's helped us get to where we are. So we're not going to really argue about that. We can, just for fun, but it's not going to be a core thing about what we do and who we are. We're not going to argue about the source of creation. And if you notice, this statement of faith does not declare how many days it took to create the universe, but we are going to say that God is the source of all creation. We're gonna, and we're not going to argue about that. Because one, it's boring and not fun. But two, it's just the statement of who we are as a community is that we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. We're not going to argue about whether or not Jesus existed, okay? Because somebody watched a dumb YouTube video made by a dumb, somebody, dumb person with a PhD who's like all of a sudden like Jesus never existed. We're not going to argue about that. One, because every historical evidence in the world and every self-respecting historical scholar believes that somebody named Jesus of Nazareth existed and was murdered by the Roman Empire roughly around 33 AD. Everybody believes that who has half a brain in their head. 
Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is God. That's an entirely different step of faith. But we're not going to argue about these things because that's not what we do as a church, okay? We're not going to argue about which denomination is the true church or not. That's not an argument that we're going to have. And we're not going to argue about whether or not the Bible has a place in our discussions, because those things are just going to distract us and waste our time. These are the fences that, we'll make, that we're hoping make us good neighbors. Okay? So why do we have one? So, so, so but understanding that and acknowledging that the, the counter-argument that we have traditionally been a non-credal people and that statements of faith have been used in, in unchristlike ways in the past, it's very important for us to ask this question, how do we have a statement of faith properly? Okay, how can, how, how can we do this and have one of these in a way that's, that, that doesn't distract us from our purpose as a church and actually helps us to be who we've been called to be in Jesus and doesn't take away from that? And the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to understand what this statement of faith is not. And this statement of faith, oh, you'll notice, whoops, sorry. That this statement of faith, where is it? Is a statement of faith, okay? And it's not a statement of politics. It's not going to tell you who to vote for. It's not going to, a statement of economic ideology. It's not going to tell you which way we should run our economy. It's not a statement of environmental ethics because it, 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 we don't, that's not what we can do. It's not a, a statement of, of, of occupation or national allegiance to whatever border we happen to be living in. That's not what it is. This is not a statement about whether or not you should cheer for the Patriots or the Eagles today. You know, this is, although you should cheer for the Eagles because the Patriots are possibly from the devil. Um, that is Dan speaking, not the Lord. But it's not telling, it's not about those things, right? There are things that we hold in a closed hand and things that we hold in an open hand. And those things that we're going to hold in a closed hand that we're not going to argue about are these things. We're not going to argue about whether or not Jesus is Lord. We're not going to argue about the resurrection of the dead. But, but there's so much room for, you to, for, us to, for us to debate and argue and creatively discover together what is the, the, the nature of life and reality, what our politics are, what our, what our political allegiances are, what our economics are, how we're going to spend our days and our time, what kind of things that we're going to do as a church, okay? So these are incredibly important things for us to do. And, the, and our statement of faith does not place those kinds of boundaries on us. What this does do is it says to us that who Jesus is is more important to us than any of those other things, okay? So there are people who are part, members and part of this church, and I want to be really clear about this, who have like right-wing politics just slightly to the right of Genghis Khan. Like, and that's okay, you know? And there are people who are members of this church who are anarchists and don't believe that there should be any form of government. That's okay, because the Bible doesn't specifically say which one of those things that we're supposed to have, okay? There are, uh, there are there's so much room for disagreement amongst our family members, but we're understanding that this is what makes us part of the same family. So we're going to understand what a statement of faith is not. Second thing that we're going to do when we, if, for, to, to have a statement of faith properly is we're going to remember this primarily, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul 
and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So imagine that you're with John Calvin in Geneva as he's about to make a decision about whether or not he's going to set a heretic on fire in the middle of the street. And let's ask him to run that decision through this metric and say, John, Mr. Calvin, Dr. Calvin, however you want to put it, is setting this person on fire for their theology, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? And John might answer yes to that, okay? And we can argue about that, but we're like, okay, Sure, fine. Maybe this is, the, this is a, as a demonstration of your devotion, then, then this might be the thing that you do, is to set this person on fire in the middle of the street. But, John, the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Does setting this person on fire in the middle of the street help us to love our neighbors and our, as ourselves? And the answer to that question obviously has to be no, Right? So the way that we're going to hold a statement of faith in a way that builds us up, that makes us better neighbors because of our better fences, is to to remember this. Because if we're genuinely loving our neighbors as ourselves, then we're not going to be setting them on fire in the middle of the street. If we're genuinely loving our neighbors as ourselves, we're not going to use this book as a weapon to try and order people into conduct that is the same as ours and makes us comfortable. Right? If we're genuinely loving our neighbors as ourselves and our neighbor has a different opinion on things as we, as we do, we can, we, can, we can have a discussion with them without, without it leading to increased conflict and hatred, right? So there are things about which we will argue and there are things about which we will not. But we will not forget our pri- our statement of faith is will not lead us to f- forget our primary purpose and our primary command, which is to love the Lord and to love our neighbor. One of the dangerous things that happens with statements of faith and theologies and ideologies is we forget that this statement of faith points us to a God who we love, and instead we make this statement of faith the God who we love. And, we will, and as much as I think that a statement of faith is a good thing for us to have, we will burn it and smash it before we will allow it to become an idol. Okay? So this is incredibly important for us. We remember our primary purpose and our primary command, which is to love. And I want this to be clear, because I hope, and I really hope that some of you are thinking that, that, that this is a wonderful statement of faith, but there are times when I doubt you might be sitting there saying that where you, there are times when I doubt whether that there, is, there is a God who is maker of heaven and earth. There are so many things in this world that appear so random. There is so much evil. There is so much heartbreak. There is so much damage that it is difficult for me to grasp that there is a good God who is in charge of this. And my, my faith in that wavers. And sometimes I hear things and I understand history and I see people that, follow, that claim to follow Jesus going so far off the rails that, that it makes me question sometimes whether or not Jesus is who he says he was. And I want to be really clear, 
this doesn't mean that there is no play. Our acceptance of this statement of faith does not mean that there is no place in our, in our congregation and in our family and in our community for those who doubt. If you are in a place of doubting or if you know people who are in a place of doubting, this is the place to do that. We will walk beside you in the midst of that. This is the safest, this ought to be the safest place in the world for us to do this. This is a, this the statement of faith will make this a place to doubt. This will make it a place to struggle and to be open about our failures and our questions and our shame. The statement of faith is made to serve humans, not humans to serve the statement of faith. Okay? So if you come here and you're like, and as we start to talk about this, that you, you might wonder like, oh, well, well, I don't know if I can accept this all the time. I don't know if I'm 100% on board with all this. I don't know if I can. That's fine. But this is the foundation from which we are building. These are the fences in our garden. And you can benefit from our garden and you can benefit from our foundation without participating in it fully all the time. But we want to be clear, this is who we are. And we believe that this is the best that we have to offer the world. And it's okay if you're not there yet. But this is where we're headed. So if somebody is doubting, if somebody is confused, if somebody is lost, we have open arms for them. But our open arms and our and our and our, and our and our open arms from them come because we have planted our roots so deeply in who Jesus is that we're strong enough to carry it. Our statement of faith are not boundaries to keep people out, but they're fences that allow people to enjoy what is within. And our statement of faith is a foundation from which we jump off to love and bless and serve the world, because that is what we've been called to do. So, I hope that there's nothing so controversial here that, 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 that you can't handle it. And, and, I, and I want you to read it and begin to get it into your heart and mind, and, and, and if you have any questions about it, we're more than happy to talk about them. But, but understand that we have this because we believe that, that, that what we believe matters, and we believe that what we believe helps others and, and, and opens the doors for everyone to have security on the inside. Let's pray together. God. We thank you that you have drawn us into faith. We thank you that you have happened to us. And for those in this room or outside of this room that you have not yet happened to, we ask that you do that. We believe that you are calling this world to yourself, and we believe that in having a statement of faith, we are not creating impenetrable boundaries that, that evil cannot get through, but that we are, we are creating space for, 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 for people to come to see you and to know who you are, and that is our goal. So we ask that this morning that you would remind us again who you are, that you ground our faith, that our roots grow deeper, that, that we become stronger in believing who you are and how you are working in history because we believe that it is through those deep roots, that it is through that strong foundation that, 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 that we can truly bless and serve and love the world that is around us because people desperately need to hear truth.
People desperately need to hear something that matters and something that lasts and something that is strong. And we believe that we have that in you. And we ask that you continue to speak to us as we, as we meet at your table. We ask this in your son, Jesus. Amen. If we were to rank those things that we believe or don't believe, thank you, Dennis. If we were to rank those things that we believe and don't believe, primary, I believe, amongst them is what we're celebrating at this table. That God himself entered into the world as a human being and on our behalf was crucified, died, rose again, and ascended into heaven for our salvation and for our reconciliation with God. And we believe that at this table we remember that until he comes again. Now, we also believe that this table is open because this table belongs to the Lord because God gives his grace. It's not us who make boundaries around the grace of God, but God gives his grace freely to everyone who would come and take. So you are invited to come and take and eat today because that is what the invitation that Jesus has given humanity throughout the last 2,000 years of human history to come and take and eat and taste and see that the Lord is good. So that is what we invite you to do this morning. And as we gather, I would like you to take, we take a moment in silence to solidify in your mind and, 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 and heart who Jesus is and to what you are coming as you come to this table. Because if we come humbly looking for the reconciliation and peace that comes from meeting Jesus at his table, then he is gracious and just to respond. So if, uh, as we get, so we're going to take a moment. Uh, we're we're, we're going to take a moment in silence, but then we're going to come forward for communion. If you would prefer to, the, to take communion seated where you are, please remain there. We will bring communion to you, but let's take a moment in silence together.